This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It's always good to be with you in the morning and some of you might be listening at other points of the day, but if you want to get a hold of us, you can always send us an email at thegospelforlifeidaho at gmail.com. Um, you can always subscribe to our podcast if you aren't already, The Gospel for Life, whatever podcast mechanism you listen through, you can just go and grab it from there. We have been talking about the resurrection, and the resurrection is not a once-a-year type of thing. We do tend to focus more on it at certain time periods of the year, but hopefully you, every Sunday morning when you gather, you say, this is a Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and this has forever changed human history. And that that is, you come with the, the idea that you come to worship a risen Savior. Mm-hmm. And that each Sunday, really what you're doing is refocusing your mind on the work of Jesus Christ, the person and work his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that that is all part and parcel to your worship each Lord's Day. We are turning our attention today to Luke 24. We're looking at two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Vinny is going to read that passage for us. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35 from the Christian Standard Bible. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, 
but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So this is one of the more famous, known, um, appreciated, loved, however you want to talk about it, resurrection accounts. And we have these two disciples. I had actually preached this passage as an assigned text for practice preaching in um, seminary, so a little bit of PTSD. Um, <laughs> we won't judge you. Um, is that why you were twitching when I was yeah, reading? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in practice preaching, what happens is you, you have a text and you preach it in front of all of your fellow students and, and also the faculty. And seminarians can be cutthroat. Oh, <laughs> man. And so then afterwards, each of the seminary professors give their feedback. And then each of the you go around the room, and each of the students then give their feedback. And typically, I mean, some were were kind, some not as much. Um, and so, always a little bit traumatic. You always have to remember it's going to be their turn. Because, <clears throat> yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so I had made the mistake in that that sermon of saying that there were two men on the road to Emmaus, and we actually aren't told that. We're told that one of them was a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, Sclopus. Yeah. But it could be that the other one was his wife, could be, you know. So mm-hmm. I, that was one of the critiques that I remember very well, that I had said two guys, and they're like, well, maybe not. Sometimes we overread the text yeah. that way. Yeah, uh, you know, they, there's, a, there's actually a, a really interesting book that was written um, called The Emmaus Mystery. It's uh, Discovering Evidence for the Risen Christ, and it was written by a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Karsten Thied. He was a German uh, archaeologist, scholar, and, uh, you know, the place of Emmaus had been long, you know, lost for many years, you know, and and there's evidence that they've actually found this little um, village of of Emmaus. And, you know, what's interesting, you know, you talk about adding something to the scripture, you know, in terms of maybe there was uh, two men. Well, what he does is he shows how this fits, this place fits with you know what we know how they would have been traveling, uh, even to the extent of not being able to recognize Jesus when when you're walking with him. Now we we recognize that uh, sometimes we'll see people in a different place and we won't expect and we don't recognize them. I was traveling to Ligonier and somebody was on the plane and I'm going, I know that person. And they're going, I know that person, but we're not putting it together because we're we're on the uh, in a different place. Well, the uh, disciples are walking, and of course, it's toward evening, and so they're walking into the sun. So their heads would be down. They're not really turning and looking at the person beside them, and so they're 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 talking about an event mm-hmm. that's taking place. Mm-hmm. And the and the wording of the text really would be that this this is a spirited conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There there this mm-hmm. is not some casual small talk. This is this is arguing over what happened yes and they're into the conversation yeah and we also see that like their their eyes were were kept from recognizing yeah so so, there's there's a certain aspect of jesus has a purpose for not being recognized it's just not full disclosure so let's just concentrate on after jesus interrupts the conversation they give a little account of of how they see things at the current moment what's good about what they're saying what what should give us 
reason to pause, you know, starting in, in verse 19 as they're answering Jesus' question, you know, what what's Jesus, happened? Jesus is asking that question kind of like uh, he does with the disciples up in Caesarea Philippi, you know. Who do men say that I am? Oh, who do you say that I am? He's giving them an opportunity to uh, flesh out what they, what their expectation was of of this Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they give a, one of the encouraging things is just the report of Jesus. You know, his he was a man. They say a mighty in deed and word, and uh, before God and all the people. So there was a a recognition of Jesus's earthly ministry that was not just their own, but in a broad sense, a lot of people recognize Jesus is this powerful prophet and a mighty man of God. They they also go on to say that they were hoping that he would be the one to redeem mm-hmm. um, Israel, you know, the one that would set them free. Yeah, they, they testify to their belief in the Messiah's glory. They talk about Jesus being set up for that, but what they, they miss is the, the sufferings of the Messiah. And so that that still was incongruent in their mind with what they the expectation of the Messiah that they have, and that's evident here. And then beginning verse twenty five, Jesus corrects them. It's interesting how often wrong assumptions lead us into not so great places spiritually. Mm-hmm. But we had hoped. So when we bring our expectations to God and and put them on God and and say, you know, I had hoped God was going to act this way and do this thing and would lead to this thing. And we oftentimes impose things on God that aren't really ever ours to to claim or to assume or to believe. And the disciples had a clear mindset of what a Messiah would do and what the Messiah how the Messiah would act. And they it led to spiritual discouragement and spiritual confusion because of imposed beliefs. Mm. And so I would just really um, encourage each of our listeners to just be careful of the baggage that we bring, that we come to God and say, I need God to act this way and to do this thing and to be, well, trust that God is all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, almighty, and that his plans are always higher and better than ours, and let God be God, and we trust him. And here, Jesus corrects this by taking them back to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of, of the Christian life. When confused, go back to Scripture. What does the Scripture say? And what's so important about what Jesus does here? Well, I think it sets up the common practice for the church. We even see that in the beginning of Acts where they, they dedicate themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? That which they had received from Jesus. And we have a clue now as to what they received from Jesus when he walks them back through the Old Testament revealing himself. So it creates the Bible not as this two two sides, but one cohesive story of mm-hmm. the gospel, right? The creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately restoration. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is modeling that here for us. It out there, there's some teachers who would say we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the gospel. But Jesus here, I think, clearly sets the hitch pin uh, in Luke 24 when he attaches the resurrection and the suffering of the Messiah rooted in the Old Testament teaching. Yeah, I mean, there's to that, you know, there, there there's two other locations too that, that speak to this necessity of having the Old Testament as well as the New. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy that 
he is uh, familiar with the scriptures that are able to lead him unto, you know, make, make him, him wise unto salvation. And what were the scriptures in Paul's day? Well, it was the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we have the Apostle Peter talking about the great salvation that we have in Christ. And it's a salvation that the prophets of old searched diligently to and inquired of the Spirit of Christ of when the Christ would suffer and his subsequent glories. So they understood, not fully, but they understood a bit about this suffering and coming glory. So not to go back too deeply into my yes, practice sorry. preaching sermon, but I, my three points that day were, were walking, <laughs> teaching, and burning. Because later in the text it will say their hearts burned. Mm-hmm. And my instructor, so gentle and gracious and kind, said, I like your, your points, but your third one actually isn't right. Because their hearts didn't burn at the end. They actually, their hearts were burning when Jesus was taking them through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't after they they realized that this is Christ, the Christ, that this mm-hmm. is Jesus. Their hearts were burning while Jesus was expositing the word. Yeah. And that stuck with me. Yeah, um, there's something resonating when you actually are hearing truth. Mm-hmm. It, it resonates in your heart and, and, and it's burning there. And hopefully what you find each Lord's Day is that experience, that as your minister is opening up the Word of God that and, and revealing Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is saying is all of Scripture is about me. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter where your pastor's preaching from. He's preaching Christ. And it should resonate in your heart. And, you, and, you know, sometimes people will actually talk to the pastor. You were talking about me. No, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was. You we know, promise you, you we are, we're, we're, we're not talking, we're not about, doing, <laughs> talking about you. It resonates there because it's true. <laughs> if I'm going to talk about you, I will name you by name. <laughs> <laughs> we're out of time for today, but we will see you tomorrow.